Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning. You're with the double L team, Lyle and Lawson. Lawson, what are you thankful for this morning? I am incredibly thankful to be alive, Lyle. You've done it before. Yeah. You can't do it again. No, but but listen, listen, like I... Left the office yesterday, not yes. feeling very well. Indeed, and you I, did. I didn't. Uh, I didn't end up going to work. And we, I, thought, we thought you had COVID. Well, no, we didn't think that. I didn't <laughs> <have> COVID <laughs> symptoms, like. But I thought maybe I had COVID, and so I spent the day just like just hydrating and you know just um, yeah doing those kinds of things, and and all of a sudden now I'm feeling good, so. That's fantastic. That's you like, turned up at work this morning. That's I, always a positive thing. I, I don't have COVID. You think? I think. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for life. Uh, grateful just like that, we all have COVID. Well, yeah, because because it, be, could, it could be asymptomatic COVID, you know? Is that that thing? Oh, that's so dumb. If if it's asymptomatic, then it doesn't exist. Okay, that's that's <laughs> that's my that's my new stance. So so you don't have a disease if you are not. Ill at ease. What? Yeah. Well, disease is ease is you're comfortable. Uh-huh. Disease is you are uncomfortable. Uh-huh. So if you are comfortable but a- and asymptomatic, then you don't have a disease. That's right. That's what we'll go with. That's like, okay, so if you have a disease but then you don't die from it or don't get sick, then did you even have a disease? Well, there you go. This is this is a question, you know. If a tree falls over in the bush and nobody's there to hear it, did it make a did sound? Did it make a sound? <laughs> if you know the answer or you would like to share your thoughts on what came first, the chicken or the egg, or any of these other great existential questions that we raise here on The Breakfast Show, our number is 0491064669. You're listening to The Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. It is The Breakfast Show here on Faith FM, and thanks to our listeners, we've already so- solved one of the great existential questions of all time. Oh, which one? One down, two to go. Which one? The chicken and the egg. Ah, uh, that one's easy, though. Why is that one easy? Because, because we're Christians. Okay, so the Bible says <laughs> that God created the chicken. There we go. Male like- <laughs> and female, he created them. Actually, uh-huh. the Bible says that he created uh, the fowls of the heavens. Mm-hmm. He didn't create eggs that then hatched. Mm. Okay, so we've solved one. Yeah, that one. But now we've got to now we've got to decide whether if you have a disease but you are still at ease, do you have a disease? Well, okay, I'm going to answer that one right now because it's not really an existential question. It's that like you can carry disease in your blood, blood which you're immune to. Yes, but if you are not, if you are not ill at ease, does that count as a disease? I guess. I guess not. Hmm. Mm. The the uh, real maybe, think- maybe maybe we need a, 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 a oh somebody both our Raphaels have texted in this morning mm-hmm. okay so the chicken I find hard to believe some Christians are still not sure on this issue not talking about you guys it's a question that <laughs> must be an overflow from evolutionist beliefs now I think it's just a uh, a fun debate to have when yeah. you feel like having a debate for no, no other reason than the, having a debate the really hard one the yes. the actual difficult difficult one is the tree falling in the woods. Yes. Does it make a sound if it's not observed? Does anything exist when not observed? 
<laughs> that that's like that is like the one that racks the brains of philosophers. Like that that's that's legit. So I want to hear some answers for that. Like if a tree falls in the woods, you know, and you, the bear, the, the bear, you know, dies. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's uh, talk about some positively different news this morning. That's right. Let's have a look at some positively different news, and we're going to be talking about animals. Because cool. I love animals. And, well, some animals. I, I, I love a lot of animals. I think I love every class of animal. There's, there's Like, I think the only animal that I'm actually afraid of is, like, wasps. Wasps. Freak you out. Fr- like, like phobia. Like, phobia level. Like, I see a wasp and I just freeze. Like, and I I really struggle with that. But other you should, than that- You should try hornets. They have those things in the States. Yeah. They're those just, things. They're just those big things. wasps, right? I guess. I don't know. Asse- essentially. But they're nasty, nasty things that they sting and they pull their sting out and then just they, they, they just keep putting it in again and again yeah. and again and again and again yeah. and again in different spots. But I, that's the thing. I, I pretty much like most animals. It's only specific animals that get on my nerves. Like if I mm-hmm. know a dog that's really loud and potentially lives in my backyard and gets really, really gets Your on dog my, is amazing. Really gets on my nerves. Then you know. Then we have problems. But, but for the most very, part, very much like my dog. Yeah, dude. It's like cattle dogs, bro. It's like, just like they just, are noisy. They have a voice psycho. and they love to use. <laughs> So good. Hey, but we're going to be talking about some cool animals that I like, and even though they're very close to the wasps, uh, they are not wasps. They actually do things, and that is the bee. So bees Mm. are cool. Bees are awesome. Bees are amazing. Um, And a colony of 800,000 previously unknown bees has been found in an ancient oak woodland um, right beside uh, Blenheim Palace in Oxfordshire. So one of the most... So you're telling me they've discovered a new species of bees and there's like 800,000 of them and they've never seen them before and this is in Oxfordshire. Yeah. Beside the palace. That's right. <laughs> never before described. That, that's right. Well, actually, no, it's not an unseen, never before seen bee, but it's a bee that they thought had gone extinct because this is in every sense. Oh, and there's 800,000 of them. There's 800,000 of, of them. Of extinct bees. Yeah, well, we're going to see, like, so how they found them is that they, like, saw them, like, basically they had all made their nests super high in these trees rather than um, down low, and they just, yeah, never been observed, and I guess the population just really grew rapidly over the last couple of years. And This is cool. And there's 800,000 of them. But this particular bee is what is known as, like, the ye old English bee. Like, this is, like, the legit, like, old-school bee from England that they thought had either been killed by murder hornets or, like, you know, gone extinct. And they know it's the English bee because they've been observing it and obviously, you know, the shape and the look and everything. But also, these bees have the abilities to survive and fly around at temperatures that are, like, 10, 15 degrees lower than every other bee um, well, they need to. They live in the they UK. They live in England. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> they, they they're live able in to fly underwater as well. <laughs> dude, no, well, dude, they're like flying around. And it's like, okay, well, you know, what, what temperatures are we talking about here? Dude, they're flying around at like four degrees. Ooh. That's freezing. For a bee. For a bee. That's wild. But they've found like a ton of different, like, you know, uh, I think it's 50 separate colonies, all amassing up to 800,000 bees. Um, of these bees, they were just like, they thought that... These these are the last known descendants of English bees 
right. in the entirety of the UK. Okay. How are they different from the European? We have European bees in Australia, right? Yes. How are they different? I think it's apart their, from their cold weather ability. Yeah, but that stems from like their their coating. They they so they you know in the process of like studying these bees further and whatnot. But yeah, the the English bee have um yeah just like a thicker skin, thicker coat. Um, they're yep. I think they're a little bit uh, bigger as well. Yep. Um, and yeah, they're just out there. They're doing their thing. And like just English know. people have thicker coats than the that, Australian that, people. <laughs> That's it's right. just how it goes. But yeah, oh, it's so funny though. I love. I wanted to highlight this story because legit, like Oxfordshire is like the most affluent, population dense areas of England, and like oh, I wonder, I wonder how they discovered because I mean, you would have been, you know, everybody would have been seeing these things for years. Yeah. And suddenly goes suddenly someone who someone must have actually have heard of these extinct bees and knew a little bit about them to actually go wait a minute that's an extinct bee because I mean if I saw a bee it's a bee it's a bee but this this, this is actually the the interesting thing is that in this area they didn't know that there were even bees in this forest that's behind the um, the the palace aren't there bees in all forests well yeah there's kind of like bees everywhere but they I thought, there were bees thought that everywhere. they're weren't bees here? And then they found all the bees, like 800,000 of them. It's a lot of bees to it's miss. Like, it's like more than the population of Australia. I love it when uh, you have stories of extinct Newcastle. species that come back, though. Yeah. Dude, they're just, making a comeback. Yeah. Good stuff. All right, all right. I have another story here. Lyle, you're really going to enjoy... Actually, you're going to hate this, but we're going to talk about it because cats can now take over the world. Uh well, they're probably, are you ready? Yeah. Are you ready? Are you ready? You know why? Because there's a cat in Canada mm. that has thumbs. Really? It has like a fifth toe on its like front legs. But they, are they opposable thumbs? Well, the, yeah. Or is it just an extra toe? It's just an extra toe. Okay. Yeah, but basically, <laughs> I saw this cat is getting like really famous. His name's Teddy, and he looks like he has thumbs and hands. And it's the, it's the funniest thing ever. Like, <laughs> and he's like, yeah, he's like blowing up. And he's I, become I, insta-famous. He's become insta-famous, but I just love it because I'm like, the cats can take over now. Once they've got thumbs, it's over for us. Bro. <laughs> like, it's done. Like, they've there got all this pent-up rage from being hunted. There is a final solution. <laughs> End the cats. <laughs> that, that, that's that's the thought. Hey, no, cats can be cute. I, I, I sympathize with our feral cat problem here in Australia, but there are some cats that can be cute. And this cat with He sympathise with all thumbs. of the Faith FM listeners who have to put up with Lyle yeah, bagging on cats. That's right. Whenever he goes the opportunity. <laughs> but hey, dude, I I don't know. I just I'm just a sucker for cute animals. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. What's going on? Let's see what we've got here uh, in more serious stories. So we talked about doing a, a bit of a, um, a COVID update. Mm-hmm. And so I've, I've actually gathered four different stories from around the world in relationship to COVID. Mm-hmm. And uh, the most vaccination on earth, which has a vaccination rate of, wait for it, 118%. Um, yes, that's what I said. Until they came up with explanation. So the most, most vaccination nation on earth, a vaccination rate of 118% um, is going into full lockdown for Christmas because of a massive COVID outbreak. So this is the country of Gibraltar. 
which is oh. a part of uh, Great Britain. Population 34,000. They currently are sitting at about 56 cases per day over the last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to figure out, okay, how do you have 118% vaccination? And this is because of all of the uh, Spaniards who commute to work in Gibraltar. Uh. You have to be fully vaccinated to be able to drive across the airport. Okay. Because in Gibraltar you drive across. The- have you been to Gibraltar? No, I've okay. never been. Have you been? No. Oh, I was going to ask if this is nice, but neither of us know. Neither of us know. <laughs> I, I, I like the pictures of it. It looks like a spectacular place, and I love the fact that you get to drive across the air, the uh, airstrip. Yeah. When you drive in, it's straight across the airstrip. The lights go green, you go across the airstrip, the lights go red, and the plane goes the, the other way. The plane lands. <laughs> yeah. It's just wild stuff. <laughs> All right, so um, what have we got here? Okay, moving on from Gibraltar. Uh, Singapore is one of the most vaccinated. So Singapore is sitting at about the same position as New South Wales at 94%. Mm-hmm. And they're going to major lockdowns. They've got 26,000 active cases right now. Uh, Ireland is sitting at 92%. And their uh, COVID rate has doubled since August. Mm-hmm. And so I guess one of the reasons that I'm highlighting this story is that, you know, I think there's this kind of sense in most parts of Australia right now that, mm-hmm. you know, we've we've hit all of these goals. We were hoping to reach 80%. It seems like most states are going to push into the 90s. And so that's the end of COVID. Mm-hmm. We can all get back to life as normal. Well, that's not what we're seeing when we look around the world. Um, Europe is projecting half a million deaths this winter, which, of course, they're heading into their winter right now, and with extensive lockdowns. Mm. And Europe is heavily, heavily vaccinated. Um, lockdowns in countries like Austria and Denmark, mm. um, a whole bunch of uh, countries over there that are going to, into extensive lockdowns, even though the vaccination rates are incredibly high. Uh, moving back here to Australia, we find that two out of three childcare centres are unable to provide enough support as a result of uh, staff leaving because of mandatory vaccination. So mandatory vaccinations are becoming a bit of an issue. Even though we have very high rates, uh, what we do have here in Australia is probably the most draconian rules against the unvaccinated of anywhere in the world that I've heard of. Mm. Maybe there's a country that has stricter mandates. Um, if you know of one, let me know. But even comparing with China, Australia seems to have much stricter mandates than China. Mm. Um, I could be wrong on that, but that's just my observation. Anyway, so uh, two-thirds of childcare centres are able to provide enough staff, and what that means is that the existing staff are working a lot of overtime, which what that means is they're getting paid a lot more money, and that is making childcare prohibitively expensive for a lot of parents and so you've got less children that are in childcare and so we've got a bit of a childcare crisis happening across New South Wales right now. Mm. Um, A lot of childcare centres have simply gone back to shorter hours um, so that they can kind of rotate the kids through, that kind of thing. Bit of a problem right there and of course the same problem is impacting our aged care sector, our our health sector and our education sector. Mm. Uh, Some schools that I know of have lost a third of their staff. I was listening to a report yesterday about a school that lost a third of their staff as a result of the uh, mandatory vaccinations. Um, And of of course what's interesting is that for childcare centres these mandates don't exist if you are in Queensland or Tasmania. Mm. 
I kind of wonder why it would be relevant for a childcare centre. You know, do we? I mean, how many children die of COVID? <laughs> um, like zero. Yeah, pretty much. Mm. Anyway, I did promise that we would talk about this speech by General Michael Flynn in the United States, National Security Advisor, a former National Security Advisor for the United States. Okay. Wait, so he's like the head of the NSA? Used to be. Yeah, okay. He's retired. All right. Retired general. So uh, he's part of the NSA. I'm not sure whether he's head or not. I don't know. He's a legit guy. Yeah, he's a legit people, guy. People legit guy. Yeah. Huh? People know who he is. Okay, so he's... He's he's uh, been doing this speech. Um, it's to the speech was a, a part of the Reawaken America tour. Okay. So the Reawaken America tour, and he's talking about the concept of one nation under God. Ah. And he's like, well, we can't have one nation under God unless we have one church under God ah. in. The nation. Mm-hmm. Now that's a big leap. That's a. Giant I mean, it would be leap. it would be a big enough leap, and I would oppose it just as severely if he had said one religion. Mm. You know, we, we we let's just have Christianity in this country. Let's make Christianity the state religion. <laughs> but then he's like one church. No, he did not say one religion. He said one church. I read the transcript. I was like, no, surely not. They've they've exaggerated this in the media. Mm. I read the transcript of the speech. He said one. Church under God mm. for the nation. Oh, so right. a state church. So that's interesting. You kind of wonder, well, what church is he going to pick? Does he say? He's Roman Catholic. Oh, okay. No surprise there. The, the, <laughs> that's classic. We could have, you could have picked it, couldn't you? Uh, so he didn't say, but if you're Roman Catholic and you're saying that we need to have one church and you're part of a church that has been... Uh, preaching for the last 1,500 years that there should only be one church in existence in the world, then it's mm. kind of obvious mm-hmm. um, what is taking place right there. Um, and he goes on. It's interesting because he talks about how America was founded on Judeo-Christian values. And, and this is something that I hear a lot of, Judeo-Christian. Yeah. It wasn't founded on Judeo-Christian values. It was founded on Christian values, mm. and it has experienced the highest Jewish immigration of any country on earth and has a massive Jewish population, so it's politically expedient now to say Judeo-Christian. But the simple fact is it was founded on Abrahamic. Mm. If you're going to be, if you're going to be, you know, um, if you're going to be broad in what you say, it was founded on Abrahamic principles. Um, and, and, and the other thing was, you know, is, is when you look at this, okay, which, which morals uh, does he want restored that are not also shared by Islam? Mm. He wants to restore the family. He wants to restore you know, moral values of you know, sexuality and so forth, all of these kind of traditional values. They are Abrahamic values mm. because they are shared by Jews, Christians, and Muslims. The interesting thing of... Go for it. But instead he said that Islam is a political ideology that hides behind being a religion that is a malignant cancer. That's so insane. This is coming from somebody, this is coming from somebody, right, who is a Roman Catholic. Mm -hmm. You're going to talk about political ideology hiding behind behind a religion? I mean, this this is a... 
this is a religion. Roman Catholicism is a religion that has a head of state mm. that has its own country. It's a religion that actually has its own country. Um, so it's uh, yeah, interesting stuff here. Um, uh, you know, since when is uh, Roman Catholic Roman Catholicism not a political ideology? That's he so went on funny. to lament that Americans don't know their history. And I'm like, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Okay. Oh, no. Okay, he's saying that Islam is a political ideology that hides behind a religion that is a malignant cancer. Let's, let's have a historical uh, um, face-off between Catholicism and Islam for a moment to see which one has uh, created the most abuses in the world, has killed the most people in the world, has persecuted the most people in the world, has persecuted women the most, has persecuted children the most. You know, let's, let's, have a, let's, let's study some history. Mm. If you want to go there... Yeah. Let's talk about history. Oh, that's so tough. I can't believe you said that. That's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> that's so funny. Oh, ouch. And finally, I'm just going to say, you know, is there anything more un-American than a state church? Ooh, yeah. Could you get more un-American than a state church? That's why we have separation of church and state. That's why we are supposed to have separation of church and state and religious liberty. Unfortunately, if you read Revelation 13, you know it won't last. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Time for the segment that we look forward to every month where we discuss the book of Genesis with Barand Newstratton. Barand, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you uh, for having me, uh, Lyle. Barron, we've been working our way through the book of Genesis and, you know, we've been talking about Jacob and Esau and the concept of the birthright and how that uh, Jacob is able to steal that birthright off of his brother, a pretty dastardly thing to do, particularly when you understand the culture of the time and, uh, you know, the, the way their faith was practiced at that particular period in Earth's history. And this results in Jacob actually running for his life, so it doesn't seem that it works out for him as he planned. No, it has consequences, hasn't it? Um, and, of course, his mom picked up on that. She learned of the fact that the hatred of Esau was such that he would actually kill him after the mourning period uh, that he would expect of his father to die, who actually didn't die. It's, it's interesting that Isaac was uh, about 137 years old at this stage, and appeared to be in a very poorly way, but still uh, went on to live another 43 years, which is quite amazing. So, um, but the intent was there that he would kill his brother. That was Esau's uh, perception, for sure. It, it is interesting to look at this from Isaac's perspective because, you know, if he's passing on the birthright, then he obviously feels that he has a very short amount of time left to live. And, yeah. uh, and, he, and he's gone blind. Uh, yeah. Completely, completely, one hundred percent blind, and so yeah, he lived with that disability for a long period of time. Yeah, he did too. Yeah, mm. indeed, forty-three years at least. Yes. All right. So uh, Esau is upset about what has happened, and he decides to, I guess, wait until his father dies and then have his revenge. Is that kind of how it goes? That is, yeah. He basically was believed to be saying that if the days of mourning, uh, you know, his father would die. That was the expectation. And as we, we pointed out, that didn't happen. So the intent was there. And Rebecca wasn't sure when he would exercise that intent. Nobody really knew, not even Isa, perhaps. But uh, she made the understanding that it would be good for Jacob to go to 
treated her brother up there in Padamaran, which is north city of Heron, uh, because of the wives of um, Esau were an absolute abomination to both the parents, actually. They were Hittite wives that Esau had attracted and married, and uh, they uh, they disliked that intensely, and therefore it would be so much better, according to Rebecca, if uh, Jacob would go north to visit her, uh, uh, her, her brother and find himself a wife over there. Mm. So this doesn't work out for uh, anyone in any, any good in, in any good way because you know Rebecca obviously Jacob is her favorite and so she has you know they've conspired together to steal this yeah. birthright rather than receive the birth birthright he becomes a fugitive yeah. and she never sees her son again. No, that's the tragedy, isn't it? She never sees him again. Uh, and that is very, very tragic. A very high price to pay for the uh, for the uh, the way that she got herself involved in this whole thing. And the the other interesting thing is that uh, basically uh, Jacob didn't bring anything with him. A hundred years before, a very wealthy, well, a great deal of wealth was taken by Eliezer, the faithful servant of Abram, to go up north. But to find a wife, of course, for Isaac, that was fine. But uh, here we have a situation. Uh, Jacob is just the staff. That's all he's got. He's got nothing else to take with him, which is quite incredible. It is, and you wonder how a person survived. But I guess they had their their ways and means in those days of you know being able to live off the land or off hospitality of people that they were passing by. Um, but he's 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 basically just stood up, walked out of the. Uh, out of Isaac's yeah. camp and not to return in, in Rebecca's lifetime. Um, that, that's so interesting, isn't it? Because the man is 77 years old when he leaves. He's not a young man anymore. He is, uh, you know, Jacob uh, died at the arrival of age of 147. So at the age of 77, he's more than halfway. And he's, that's, he's that's, a, that's, a, that's an interesting fact that I did not realize. Yeah. yeah. It's calculable. The wonderful thing is the story of Genesis is so well uh, presented because you can, you can calculate the various ages of the various people. Mm. But the reality is that Jacob left at the age of 77, didn't become a dad, didn't get married until he was... Uh, seven years further down the track, which is uh, 84. And then, he, and goes then on suddenly, to have, he goes on to have 12 children. And then suddenly he goes on to have seven yeah, sons, one after the other. Incredible. He gets very busy. He does indeed. And, you know, we would assume that between all of those different sons, there would be daughters as well that haven't been recorded. So you kind of wonder, you know, just how big of a family he did ha- end up having. Yeah, there's one Dina. She was yes. recorded, of course. Yeah, yes, the one, the one that's recorded. Yeah, but kind of only because of uh, exceptional circumstances. Yeah. Uh, so, so you know, you can imagine you've got a 77 year old man who is basically fleeing for his life, who yeah. has tried to swindle himself into great blessings and great possessions, and has now nothing. 
yeah. and uh, you know has tried to you know to deceive his own father in order to gain the blessings of God you know he wouldn't have exactly felt like he was under the blessings of God as he was you know heading north no I think that the that guilt was the main uh, culprit at this stage of well let me say the culprit it was good for him to feel guilty because indeed he was the way he attracted that blessing but he, uh, his guilt was a, was a burden, was a tremendous burden. And he felt, amazingly, he felt completely alone. He lost the protection of his father's household, you know, with many servants and what have you, in a privileged position to be the heir. But he is now broke, single, uh, alone, 77, uh, in a country that could prove to be very hostile. He didn't a lot with uh, other societies. He decided to be remaining in the field while the uh, wild animals was not uncommon, totally dependent on, on the protection of God. And uh, that is perhaps a good condition to come to yourself and realize and take stock that uh, you need to change your ways. Indeed, and you can imagine him doing a lot of thinking as he heads north yeah. and, you know, even wondering, is there grace left for him? You know, have I gone too far here? No. Have I committed the unpardonable sin? Is there yeah. grace available for somebody, you know, who at my age, who should have known so much better, you know, tries to pull a stunt like this? You can imagine a kid trying to pull something off like this, but a 77-year-old <laughs> man, you know, there'd be all of those thoughts going through his mind as he travels north and... Uh, what is what what happens here because you know God communicates to him that grace is still available. That's the amazing thing about this story, and that's where we have such a tremendous application to ourselves. I mean, the uh, he has this dream. He's in a place where he feels he's forsaken by God, and yet God was very near. He imagined himself alone, but in the reality, he ended up in the very company of God. And that came in the form of a letter and a tremendous assurance that uh, there would be an uninterrupted fellowship between him and, and, and God. That was an offer, and that God would keep him. And that was a tremendous relief to the man. What a relief that was. Absolutely. Uh, why, yeah. would, why would God do this for somebody who has really just been a terrible person in many ways? You know, well, to, to, deceive, same- to deceive and to rob... An old yeah. blind man who is your father. I mean, that's just low. Despicable, <laughs> to say the least. Uh, then again, why is God so good to us? Uh, <laughs> this is know. so true. <laughs> that's the answer, I suppose. Uh-huh. Indeed, indeed. Okay, so we've, yeah, he has this dream. He has this dream of this ladder that's extending to heaven with angels ascending and descending. The, the symbolism of this yeah. dream, how does this, how does this then apply to us? The significance is the connection between heaven and earth. And that that security, that absolute security of that connection, where angels serving and and, and, and ministering uh, to us and and reporting back, I suppose, to God, are are going up and down freely. And that must have been uh, a tremendous, what shall I say, a tremendous realization that God had made that communication possible. And the only one, and in Patriarchs and Prophets, he puts it so succinctly that that letter, as you and I know, represents Christ who made that communication possible. 
and viable, yes. Yes. vibrant. And that is the story. We are connected. Yes, we are here, but we are connected with our Heavenly Father. And he made that possible. So in a symbolic sense, the ladder that is between heaven and earth is Jesus Christ. Absolutely. That's the connection between us and God the Father. Absolutely. What an incredible illustration that we've got right there. And, you know, one of the other things that fascinates me about this story is one of those very few places in the Bible where you actually get a behind-the-scenes view. You know, you've got, you've got one in Job where you see what's going on behind the scenes. You've got another yeah. one in Daniel where you see what's going on behind the scenes. And Jacob gets one of these behind-the-scenes views. Yeah. Yes, he does. He does. What an amazing assurance that would have been. Mm. And for mm. us, it's recorded for our benefits. Obviously, uh, Moses, uh, on the inspiration, wrote this down for our benefits. Yeah. Yes. Now, you mentioned earlier that as he was travelling north, he was avoiding the society of other human beings. He was afraid for his safety. Uh, so he was sleeping yeah. in the field, and it seems that he was sleeping on a rock. Yes. Yeah. That sounds... So, <laughs> I have never tried that. I've never tried it. It's not uncommon in these countries to have a firm object as a pillow. Uh, you and I prefer it softer, but... Um, there it is. Um, that's the way he slept, and uh, it's sleeping rough. But that's what he—that's uh, what he used. Yeah, and, and I kind of see some symbolism coming through there as well, because you know it—it um, it speaks to the low estate that he had reached. You know, when you when yeah. you when you've got to sleep on a rock, yeah, you know you've hit rock bottom. You literally yeah. hit rock bottom. Well said. Yes, indeed. Yeah. <laughs> But on well, the other hand, the rock, of course, is a symbol of Christ, another symbol of Christ right there, and that we can yeah, rest in you, Christ. Yeah, that's where you put your head, your mm. whole thinking and everything. Mm. So he anointed that with oil. That was not an act of worship uh, to the stone, but an act of worship to God, of course. And he, he made his promises, mm-hmm. which is interesting. That is, uh, and I, it's quite a few, one of the few occasions that... Uh, that he makes and there's an undertaking about the tithing, uh, which is rather interesting. In verse 22 of that chapter, that the reports on this uh, this flight, uh, it says, you know, this stone which I've set as a pillar shall be God's house, because he named it Bethel, because uh, Beth means house. El is the singular of Elohim, which is a plural title for God. And on this stone I've set the pillar shall be God's house, and all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you, a tithing. That's nice, isn't it? It is. It is indeed. You know, so often I hear this concept that, you know, the tithe was part of the law of Moses. Um, no. Not so. You know, it goes right back to the very beginning, you know, the first few chapters of Genesis. I think Genesis 12 is where we yeah. first find it. Yeah. And, and being repeated a number of different times right through here. What's also interesting is uh, he is he, promising that he will give a tithe. He obviously wasn't doing that before. It's interesting. And that's perhaps why he's broke now. Mm. But in, in giving the undertaking, and I would say that he followed through with this, he comes back 20 years later, a very wealthy man. Indeed. It Indeed pays, he does. It, it pays to tithe, uh, not just for that purpose, but uh, I mean... 
faithfulness is rewarded, isn't it? It is indeed. You know, there's so many interesting things that we can talk about in relationship to this bar and, you know, his, his conversion experience that he has, you know, on the way up and then again on the way back. Um, but we're going to have to move on with the show because unfortunately we are out of time. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.